All right. Well, then, it's funny. You know, we can do a quick reset here. We talked about the eight blow-through conferences. It's, of course, me, Alex Gruskin as well. It's Matt Sikowiak, Chris Halliores talking about ITA kickoff weekend. Now let's get into the regions that at least I thought were mildly intriguing. Not the must-see ones yet, but now now we're talking. Now there were some real juicy results. And let's start in TCU. You know, you look for number 22 TCU. They host LMU. They host Oklahoma State. They host Arizona State. Oklahoma State takes out Arizona State 4-3. That's another close loss to, for this Arizona State team. They also lost 4-3 to Duke earlier on, a match Matt talked about in our college tennis preview. And then you look for this TCU team, and as we mentioned, you know they lose Lopez out of their lineup. They always seem to be a five and six short, and yet they cruise to two four zero victories in this regional. If they had Jensen Brooksby, this conversation would be so different about the TCU team. And Matt, it just sucks that he's not there. Wasn't he supposed to be an early enrollee? Well, Am I crazy? He'll be there next year. Let's yeah. let's just hold the phone for a minute. You're right. Uh, yeah, he was not. He was no, not I think a, he was always committed for, for fall 2019. Hey, great chef. As far I mean, as I maybe know. that's what I thought. But still, I, I, it's great to see this TCU team do so well. Well, I, yeah, before we get into that, I want to – Chris, um, I do have to admit, Chris, I actually got two of these regions wrong. I picked ASU here, remember? over TCU. Uh, so this is actually the second second region that I missed. So you got me there. Um, but holy cow, how does ASU lose again up 3-0? I mean, seriously, yes. against Oklahoma? Are you kidding me? Two times in like two weeks? That pissed me off. Like, come on. ASU, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. They're too talented. I'm sorry, but that team is too good. I saw them play. Man, I don't know what they're doing, but they got to get it together. I'm telling you, that team is too good. So that bothered me that they lost that match to Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's a little bit down this year. I'm not super high on them. But really with TCU, yeah, I love the top of their lineup. I mean, Rybakov, Gray, Stalder, they're all really good players. The problem for me with TCU, and I think I mentioned this on the last pod, is just their depth, five and six, I don't trust those guys. I just don't, and they play in the Big 12. They're going to have tough matches every time out. To me, this team is is probably not going to make the quarters of NCAAs. I mean, I, I could see possibly the round of 16. I do not see them in the final eight. I just don't. I mean, do you? Well, so, so there's a, a couple things to consider here. Uh, I'd say not trusting... Uh, six, that's fine, and and they've actually played Sander Young here, and not uh, uh, and not Eduardo Roldan, but uh, but either way, neither one of those guys can be in the lineup for them to have a chance. But the, on the bright side, neither one of those guys will be in the lineup because they've got Juan Martin, who will probably, in in my estimation, be four for them. Could uh, he's good enough to be higher, but he's gonna he'll be a freshman coming in. He's hurt, hasn't played yet. He should be back sometime soon should be before their conference season what i don't know is is if there's any chance of him being available before indoors uh but that's going to push kruger down to down to five and fomba to six fomba's actually played uh played pretty well so i think that makes their lineup significantly better in singles that puts them solid all the way through if if they've got him in there so i, I think once he's in there they compete uh top to bottom with most teams and and they'll be just fine uh, but again, that's that's assuming they're all there. 
what about the what about the Baylors and the Texases though in the Big 12? How would you stack them up even with Martin in there against a Baylor or a Texas at full strength? I, I mean, I, I I make them I put them slightly behind them, but is it going to shock me to see them beat them? Absolutely not. I mean, you got to like your chances with Rybakov at one, no matter what. Uh, so let's say they 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 win a doubles point, and Rybakov and Gray are, are a good doubles team. Stalder's a great doubles player. I don't care who you put them with. Uh, so they're they're going to be in a doubles in a doubles point consideration at every match. So you get Rybakov, you get doubles, and uh, now you got you got to find two more. I, they can find two against those guys for sure. I mean, it's possible. Would I would I make them a favorite? No. Would I make them huge underdogs? No. That's fair. That's fair. They just need to show me a little bit more before I'm going to go any further and consider them like true contenders. I just need to see a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And in terms of NCAA teams, I think for TCU, obviously they'll get in. The question is, will they be hosting a regional? And that's going to be so important for them. You think, Chris, Oklahoma State, Arizona State, they both have cases to get in? Yeah, they that Oklahoma State will make it in. Arizona State, I mean, they will sooner or later. I mean, sure, talent. No matter how much you screw up, they have a, too much talent to keep losing like that. I mean, they they will win. They will win. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for whoever it is that 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 finds it when they start actually playing. But you know, they're just they're finding ways to lose these matches. They're getting the third sets in the matches that count. And, and and losing them, uh, I Kalowski should not have lost that match at one to, for them. And Roberts has uh, uh, several times now come up, you know, just short and at the end of the third set. So that'll that'll turn around and and they'll make they'll be fine. They'll make it in. Uh, they're just they're not helping some of the folks that's, uh, like Matt's beloved Duke guys. They could really use uh, some wins out of Arizona State because that'll help their ranking. Yeah. Fair. We'll leave that there, and let's move now to Palo Alto for the Stanford region. Quietly, this region had a ton of talent in it. You have Stanford, Oregon with Thomas Laurent, one of the top players in the country. Minnesota down spec, down Corwin, not what they once were. And then, of course, John Roddick's UCF team. Stanford takes out UCF 4-1. Oregon takes out Minnesota 4-1. And then Stanford takes out Oregon 4-0. Minnesota knocks out UCF 4-3. We'll talk about the NCAA implications at the end. But, Matt, to see Samir Kumar at 5 shocking yeah i don't like that i look at this lineup and something (laughs) just seems a little something seems a little fishy with that i don't like kumar at five but really from one through six i mean that's a bunch of blue chip players you look at geller rotsart jenison janender kumar timothy saw i mean those are great players i just think their order's a little bit mixed up right now and by the end of the year i think kumar could be up there at three i mean i think i think realistically when he's playing well, that's where he should be up there in the top three. But yeah, no, this team is is really good. I mean, it's it's got to be a top ten team for sure. Um, you know, and Oregon, I I've never really liked Oregon too much outside of their number one player, Thomas Laurent. I mean, he's very good, but I'm going to be interested to see Stanford in Chicago and see when they're tested by some of these other top teams to see how they fare. Cause I just don't think they were tested against UCF 
and Oregon here the way that they needed to be. Even though there's some talent on those teams, it's going to be a whole different ball game in Chicago. Well, when you lose a Faustin and a Wilchinski to get Rostard and Jenison to replace them, uh, you know, at the top of the lineup, that's so valuable. I think for them, the key thing is going to be finding the doubles pairings that work. You know, they win the doubles point against Oregon, but they get a 7-6 decision at two doubles that could have gone either way. Yeah, the Stanford team's got a lot of talent. They don't quite have the depth of those top eight teams, but one and two, they can play with anyone, and they'll be fun to watch. I I really am curious uh, in in terms of the NCAA teams in this region because for John Roddick at UCF to take two losses this weekend was probably not in the cards, Chris. No, absolutely, and you know, and then top it off with the fact that they took a really bad loss to Arkansas. So losing to Minnesota. 4-3, 4-3, losing to Arkansas, a couple really hurtful losses uh, for them in the end. And I'd have to go uh, glance at their schedule. Again, they're in that they're in that conference where they're basically going to get Memphis and Tulane as the, the decent, and Tulsa, I'm sorry, as, the, as conference matches. But outside of that, if they don't have some more, which I, I know they do have, have uh they do have a little more but uh because they play florida this week they're not going to win that match but uh, <laughs> but you know who knows they've got a chance but yeah it puts them on the bubble i don't think uh, i don't think minnesota's making it in the ncaa tournament oregon's in stanford's in ucf ucf they from a talent level they should make it and so i'll say i think they'll find a way to get better but boy if they don't turn it around and start winning the matches that against good teams that they should win they may not and and as far as and matt's point about wanting to see stanford well i tell you what you're going to get to see you're going to get to see plenty of stanford competition long before indoors because stanford is at ohio state saturday uh, and then and then they Ooh, play i might be next- in cleveland for that maybe i make the drive to columbus yeah that'll be a great match and then they've got back-to-back matches uh next weekend against uh, at USC and at UCLA. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> those matches so are going to tell us a lot. Huge matches before we even get to indoors. Okay. Well, those matches are going to tell us a lot. We'll know going into indoors kind of where they stack up then because we've already talked about USC, Ohio State, and UCLA, obviously. If they can pull out one or two of those, I mean, that would be that'd be a serious statement. So we'll kind of know where their level's at. Um, I just want to say, I don't know if I really see it with UCF. You know, you guys mentioned their talent on that team. I'm not very high on that team. I don't know what you guys are seeing in them. Yes, they're coached by John Roddick, but when you look at them, I I just, I don't know. I don't see it personally. I don't see how they should really be that good of a team, you know, to be able to compete with a Stanford or really any top 10, top 15 team for that matter. I don't know if you can convince me otherwise, but I just wanted to throw that out there that they've got a lot to show me. Well, I, I can't argue to this point, right? They haven't done anything to, to show any of us that they should. I just think that, you know, their singles guys based off, you know, their pedigree and their resume on what they've done outside. They, they've got, uh, they've got six guys in the lineup that they could play that should be dead solid. I mean, they're playing a guy at six. That's a 13, five. There are a lot of power conference schools that we've got in there way high up in the rankings that don't have that but now they're not they're not as high at the at the top of the lineup so they're gonna they're gonna definitely suffer uh up there but but 
help throw that all out the window. They they haven't beaten anybody, no no matter who they've got. So so yeah, they've got to figure out how to come together as a, as a as a team, and they haven't done it. So I I just think it's one of those things that yeah, it may be given some time. They'll come together and they'll figure it out. But you know, maybe not. They were they were a bubble team last year, right up to the end, and didn't yeah. make it in, and they they could find themselves in the same position. Yeah. I I think we can leave that one there. Let's move on to a region that was intriguing simply because our super producer, Max Fliegner, is a Dartmouth alum. And, of course, I have to talk about their trip to Columbia, where it's Columbia hosting Virginia Tech, Kentucky, and Dartmouth. Dartmouth knocks out Kentucky 4-3 in the first round. Columbia takes out Virginia Tech 4-0. And then in the second round, Kentucky gets a win over Virginia Tech 4-0. Columbia takes out Dartmouth 4-1 with Charlie Broom for Dartmouth getting Dartmouth's alone win at one singles over Jacqueline fascinating to me Matt to not see Victor Pham at one singles there yeah me too I don't know I don't know why Lynn would play ahead of Pham do you do you have any any info on that Chris I, I don't know no I think I mean I, I it I've seen it looked like he was going to be there I don't I don't really know you know I don't know why I think those to me uh those guys are effectively interchangeable. I, I think they could play them in either order. Sure. And I just think for this Columbia team, the depth, it's really impressive. You know, this is an older squad now. This is the same guys we've seen for Columbia, Ambrosie, Pham, Tim Wang at six, who's a Southeast Michigan guy, so shout out to him. But this Columbia team's dangerous. They'll sneak up on you, Matt. Oh, they're, they're very good. I mean, when we think Ivy League, Columbia is always the team that you kind of think about as – as a serious contender. Uh, Fliegner, cut that out. No, I'm just kidding. Leave it <laughs> leave in. It in. Um, <laughs> no, but look, this was an Ivy League matchup for a spot in, in indoors. It was pretty cool. Shout out to Dartmouth for getting the win over Kentucky. That's something Duke couldn't do. Um, so, you know, that was that was a good result for them. But, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that Columbia was coming out of this region. I mean, I think we said that on the last pod they're just too good. They're experienced. They have talent throughout the lineup. I think they're well coached. They were at home. It was just one of those. I didn't see this going any other way. It's funny to me. Oh, sorry to cut you off, Chris, but I I just remember seeing Kentucky, Virginia Tech, maybe five, seven years ago, both top 20 schools, both players making NCAAs individually. And to see them both fall off in favor of two Ivy League schools, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, well, so we have, I think we can say <laughs> neither Kentucky or nope. Virginia Tech are making the NCAA tournament this year. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the shocking thing to me, and I don't know, I don't know if it was by plan or if something happened in doubles, but in that, in that final, um, you know, they, they, they got a win. Dartmouth got a win at one, but, but, uh, but Columbia pulled Jackie Tang, um, who was, who's their three. Uh, and then when you look at what was, what was left from three down after they pulled him, uh, Ambrosie was down a break in the third at three. They were in the third dead even at four. Uh, and then five was, even though Columbia won was, was a, a five and four match, which was really close. So, you know, that, that could have gotten really dicey. I don't, I, I can't believe that they would have pulled Tang just because, Hey, we won the dubs point. We think we've got it now. That's, that's a chance you don't take. So maybe he was, maybe it was just, you know, ahead of time. They knew he wasn't going to play because he wasn't full, full strength or, 
or maybe something happened in doubles. But that, I mean, that that could have gotten a little awkward for them pretty quickly. Uh, you know, had they had they not closed out all the straight set matches that they did. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we see uh, Colombia in the tournament. I Dartmouth is good. Do they make the tournament? I don't think so. Um, all right. Then, well, enjoy your auto tune. Enjoy your <laughs> yeah. auto tuned voice for the duration of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Flinkner, but uh, but they they could. But Kentucky, Virginia Tech, no, they're no chance. Here, I'll make my plug for Dartmouth. Charlie Broom at number one, a high level player can, can certainly beat any guy on his best day. We've seen him have some success at the pro level as well. You know, Hornheffer, Martin, uh, Conklin, guys who played last year. But this is a younger Dartmouth team. You know, they they still have to figure it out at five and six. Still have to figure out their doubles combinations. Besides number one, where you have you know Broom and Hornheffer, who are a, a very good doubles team, certainly can again compete with anyone on their best day, especially in the Ivy League. I mean, yeah, I, I, he's my guy. So they're absolutely making the NCAA tournament this year. But we can move on to our next category uh, of matches. These are the must-talk-about regions. We're going to save one of them till the end because it was the region I was at. But let's do some of the other ones first. We'll start in Oklahoma where we had Oklahoma, Drake, Notre Dame, and Vandy in that region. Notre Dame ends up knocking off Oklahoma 4-2. I said on the last pod, Alex Ledbedev was the best player in that region. Of course, Spencer Papa beats him in that match three and four. But for Notre Dame, they take the doubles point and then they get wins at four, five, and six singles. Matt, when you're an older team, that's the recipe you want. Yeah, Notre Dame, this is another team that I underestimated a little bit. Uh, they pretty much bring everybody back from last year. The only new guy in the lineup is Axel Neff, who's playing at three Big time recruit there, uh, lefty big guy. Yeah, this Notre Dame team is is pretty darn good. I mean, I'm excited to see them play in Chicago. I want to see what they can do against some of these top teams. They're just solid. I mean, Lebedev was not the best player in this region, despite what you said there, <laughs> Gruskin. But no, he's a really good player. I mean, I like Lebedev a lot. Um, so they've got a solid number one. They're just, they're solid throughout. They've got veteran players. They know how to win. Um, you know, they play in a tough ACC conference, but you know, I'm an ACC guy, so I'm going to be following them, you know, strictly throughout the year. I think they play pretty good in doubles. They, they don't have that much to sort out. When you look at their lineup, it kind of all falls into place for them. We'll see what they can do. You know, I, I'm not ready to say they're a top 10 team yet, but by the end of the year, they could be knocking on the door. They're a scary team to play. Let's put it that way. If you're a top team, that's a team that you may not want to see, you know, early in a tournament. Chris, how likely is it that both Notre Dame and Oklahoma host regionals come NCAA time? Uh, and for, I think that's very likely, actually. Um, Oklahoma's going to... I've. My only question with them is, is a little bit uh, with the depth. Now they've got a they've got a Spanish kid that didn't play, and so I'm not sure if that's because uh, they don't have him eligible yet, or he just didn't play. Um, but that and that'll make that lineup uh, better because the lineup they played they were they were really one short. They ideally they'd have uh, they'd have Birch down at six, and they'd have uh, you know 
the, the Spanish kid probably playing five, uh, but they're they're super solid. They could easily be be hosting, and they and they're going to get plenty of opportunity in the to beat to rack up some good wins should they be able to in in that Big Twelve slash six conference. Uh, so I think that's that that's you know a potentially very likely thing. And then and Notre Dame and again. Uh, you know, Matt's. I think we're all we all want to see Notre Dame uh, play indoors, but uh, they're another school that's got some big matches prior to getting to indoors. They've got Virginia this Friday, and they're all home. They play Virginia at home Friday. They play Texas A and M at home Sunday, and then they play Illinois at home next week, midweek. Oh, I, I like this. Yeah, I week. like this. Again, <laughs> we're going to find out a lot about this team then within the next week or so. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think for Oklahoma, you know, getting Papa back, incorporating him into the lineup, they still have to figure out what they want to do with doubles, but that's something that can always get better over time. I agree with you. They're going to be tested in the Big 12, and I don't think people should sleep on them because clearly they've got a ton of talent. And Coach Crowell, also kind enough to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast, always going to give, uh, you know, some kindness to him. So definitely a fun region. You look at Vandy and Drake, Chris. Should we think about them at all moving forward, or you think they're out this year? No, I, Drake. I don't know what they can do conference wise, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Vandy, no chance. Uh, I mean, they're they're not a bad team, but they're. I mean, they're going to play that tough SEC schedule unless they can come up with uh, some wins against the top teams and with the with the the kind of what they've got depth wise. I just. I mean, they're playing guys at two and three that were their five, six last year. Um, and it's not because I don't, in, in my estimation, not they're not two, three guys. I mean, they sure, they were freshmen last year and they're a little better. Maybe they're four or five guys, but um, they've, they're they they're really going to struggle, uh, I think, in that area. So to, to think that they're going to get the wins they need out of the SEC to make it in, uh, I don't see it happening. All right, well, then we can move on from that, talk about our next interesting region. Uh, I'm going to save what I think were the two most interesting for last, so let's now do the one. Matt Stachowiak predicted correct. Of course, this is at Florida State, where Florida State hosted Tulane, Texas Tech, and Tennessee. Florida State takes out Texas Tech 4-1. Tulane knocks off number 18, Tennessee 4-2 in the first round. And then Tulane knocks out Florida State 4-2 in the second round. Matt, did you see what you expected out of the green waves in this one? Well, clearly, right? I mean, I, I picked these guys. No, actually, I, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm proud of myself for picking this one because I went out on a little bit of a limb. No, I did. Look, this is I agree. This is a non-Power 5 team. Look, Tulane's always very good. They come out of the Conference USA, but I, I'm pretty proud of myself that I picked this one. I, they The boys showed up, you know, and we were talking about Their it. depth is really, really exactly. impressive. Exactly. They have depth. They just have solid players throughout, and we talked about this on the last pod. Chris knows as well. He knew it was going to be a tough match for Tennessee. He rolled with the balls, but... He knew that Tulane had some talent on there, and it was just going to come down to a few things here and there. You know, obviously, that second match at Florida State, I mean, I didn't know if they were going to be able to pull it off. They end up doing it, you know, 4-2. So, you know, I don't think this team can really make too much noise when they get to indoors. I, I don't. I mean, you know, they're good. I'm glad I picked them here. They came out of that region. But, you know, we'll see. 
We'll see. It really just depends on who they end up playing first round at the indoors. But, Chris, is this the rare region? Maybe there might be one other that we'll talk about in a second, but where you think all four teams could make the NCAA tournament? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say Tennessee, Tennessee uh, Florida State, and Tulane are, are locks. They're, they're in. Texas Tech is for sure all four teams could. Texas Tech, uh, you know, again, that's one where I probably have to look and see what their non-conference schedule is because even though they are, they're a good team, they're definitely sixth of six in the Big 12. Which Uh, is hilarious, by the way, because it's the Big 12, but move on. Yeah, right. (laughs) But when you've only, when you play five other teams, I mean, they're, you know, I'm not going to say they're not going to win a match, but they will, they're going to be the underdog in every match, in all five conference matches they play. So uh, they're going to have to come up with a win or two. I'm sorry to cut you off, but can you imagine being Oklahoma State and Texas Tech right now? It's like, are you f***ing serious? We have to play Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, and Texas, like, in the same conference? That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's, there's no, no easy road to hoe there, but now, Texas Tech hosts a weekend, uh, not this coming weekend, but next weekend. They're hosting a, a three-team, a, a three-way round robin, if you will, with them, Tulane, and Mississippi State. So they're going to get two cracks at, you know, two good teams in Mississippi State and Tulane. And that, you know, there's one opportunity, you know, one opportunity, two top, two really, but to, for them to um, to get the the wins they need, if they can find a couple of those, sure, they they. They've got the team that, that could make it, but it's it's going to be tough sledding in the Big 12. Yeah, definitely. Any final no, thoughts on this move, region? We can move on. Shout out to Tulane. Or, or, or Chris, I'm sorry. Tennessee is okay. – Yeah, well, I'd say the, the, my, the biggest, my biggest takeaway here, and, I, and, and it's only one weekend and two matches, and sure, it's, you know, it'll, it'll turn. Uh, but the biggest disappointment to me for the weekend was Timo Stoddard for Tennessee. He uh, – you know he he doesn't he he ends up losing the match that uh, uh, against Tulane. You know again it's it's eight six and a breaker in the third. So obviously the match can go either way, uh, but he loses it. It ends up four two in the other match. They're up six five in the third. So that you know that match was was down to the wire. And then he turns around and comes back the next day against Tommy Milnikoff and takes another loss. So this is a kid that's a you know he's a he's a top twenty NCAA type kid and and took two losses on the weekend. So, uh, you know, it's early in the season. Um, he, he'll he obviously turn it around, but I think that was kind of the big, probably the big takeaway for me is he's probably not, he's not in his greatest form yet. All right, I like it. Well, then let's talk next about the single best match, at least in my opinion, of the weekend. Of course, I'm taking us to the Texas A&M region where Texas A&M hosted Western Michigan, California, Berkeley, and number 16, UVA. UVA knocks out Cal 4-2 first round. A&M knocks out Western 4-1. And then UVA (laughs) takes out Texas A&M 4-3 in a match that featured 1-2-3-4-5 three-set singles matches. Chris, uh, before we even get into what happened in this match, can you explain why Texas A&M, Texas A&M didn't have their best lineup in this one? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, this is they had a they played a great match, and everybody looks at it and goes, "Wow!" But they submitted Hattie Habib at, at three singles. Why wasn't he there? Right? So, so 
Hattie was not uh, from a from an eligibility standpoint. Uh, you know, he had come back, but he had his date. He had not hit the date yet that he was eligible to play. Uh, my understanding is that when they play Notre Dame this weekend, I believe he will be eligible. He's there and ready, but he couldn't play. So they were missing him at three. And oh, what a big miss that ended up being. I didn't think it was going to be even with him, right? I was thinking that they're going down 4-1, maybe 4-2. But wow, did they make this close. I mean, this was an incredible match. You had it coming down to a 7-6 set uh, win in doubles where UVA takes the doubles point. 6-4 win at 2 and 7-6 win at 1. They were also up 6-5, I think, on serve at three doubles. And then in singles, the only straight set last loss we have is Vashiro takes out Nakashima of UVA at 1-6-2-6-3. Now, if you're UVA, Nakashima's a guy who's only going to get better as he experiences more of the no-ad uh, style and just what it means to play the big points and how they're that much more important in college. But for them, they get wins from Soderlin, Weersholm, and I think Go-To should or will maybe end up being the guy at 6, maybe even moves up to 5 by the end of the year. He's a freshman. I mean, Matt, Weir's home at four, you know I love that. I, that's not even a transition. Oh. You can say whatever you want about the match. I just had to tell you. Well, of course. I mean, who wouldn't love Weir's home at, at four? I mean, I think most teams would. But I, I do have to say that I am I was impressed with Texas A&M here. Like Chris mentioned before, I thought Virginia was going to take this. I called, I called Virginia, and I thought it was going to be probably 4-1 or 4-2. The fact that they made this that close without Habib bodes very well for them. Uh, You know, they get wins at three and five. I mean, those are two matches, you know, looking at it from UVA's perspective, Gianni Ross, um, Leeson, those guys, they're going to need those guys to come up with some wins. You know, they were, look, they were close in three sets. I get that. But, you know, I I look at this two ways. Texas A&M, I might have underestimated a little bit. I still don't like their depth that much, but having Habib back is going to help that. And from the UVA side, I, I don't know. I mean, they're such a good lineup. I love their lineup. But how are they going to play against Wake Forest, against UNC? Um, You know, th- those matches. I'm, I'm happy you asked. Well, look, I'm sorry. These are my Cavaliers. So I think for them, the recipe, this is a successful doubles point here. Obviously, you have Nakashima and Weirsholm at three not getting a result. You're confident in that duo, just the sheer amount of talent to have at three doubles. But the recipe for them, and they didn't get it exactly in this one, but I think it's going to be you get the doubles point, you get Weirsholm at four, which is about as sure thing you can have in college tennis. I would say nine times out of ten, Gianni Ross is going to be the favorite at three. So I think that's the recipe for them as one. You see in this match, it's a 6-0-1-6-6-3 match. Very topsy-turvy, but still three sets. And then you're right. It's can we get one of Nakashima or Soderlund to win? That's still a very strong top two. Not the best at five and six, but I just think three and four are going to be a staple for this UVA lineup. I w- the- well, let me ask you this, Alex. Against Wake and against UNC, do you think Gianni Ross is going to beat Barbotzer for Wake or Brian Cernock for UNC? Because those are probably the guys that he's going to play. I don't think I'd favor Ross in either of those matches. I think he certainly can beat both of those guys. See, 
you're not thinking long term, Maddie. You got to think: Can he match up with a Riffus and Andrade? And can he match, wow. match up with a healthy Perez? That's what we're thinking long term for the Who's. <laughs> no, Chris, just knock some sense into this guy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think I think Gross get better later. Start thinking: Can he take out the guy in the semifinal of the ABC <laughs> tournament before he starts going there? <laughs> I mean, but I, I t- that that is. It's not, I mean, hey, Barney Smith was a, you know, he, he was a, a six guy for, for A&M, right, he, last, last year, and he's, he's bumped up to three now. There is no way that Gianni Ross should have lost. lost That's, what and, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And he does right, right now. I, he'll, he'll turn it on, but I, I'm with Matt here. I don't think he's going to be the favorite in some of those matches. I don't think he'll be favored over Cernok. I don't think he'll be favored over Bots or, um, you know, it's going to, you know, they'll be, they're going to be very close matches in terms of, you know, they're pickums almost, but, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be there, but you know, we're, we'll, we'll get to see a lot with them. Like I said, they play, they play Notre Dame, uh, Friday night at Notre Dame, uh, and they play, and they play Wake Forest next weekend. So, uh, the, yeah, there's, there's. I mean, I'm just matches. looking at it. Does Nakashima beat uh, Gojo? Does Does Soderlund take out Petros? You know, what about Blumberg? Is Nakashima going to be Blumberg? How about Seguin and Soderlund? I look at these matchups, and the more I think about it. It's going to be tough for Virginia to win the ACC. Very tough. Nakashima is a former world number two junior. All I'm saying is keep a little bit of faith because he is very, very, very talented. But yes, we'll, we'll end with these two. Petros thoughts. lost like one match last year. No, Petros over Soderlund at two. Petros, Petros if over Petros anybody. plays two, that's, again, about as good of a bet as you can get in college tennis. I mean, I want to ask you, Matt, both these teams, a ton of talent. Could they also both host regionals come NCAA time? Yeah, I think they could. I think they probably could. I mean, A&M, see, it's tough because they're they're in the SEC and they're going to have a rugged schedule. You know, they impressed this weekend. They're going to have to keep it up, though. I, th- I mean, Virginia, I think, should be a lot to host. I mean, if they're not top 16, I... Phew, Something went wrong. I don't know. Yeah, there's an injury Something went or wrong. Something. Something went wrong. For A&M, I think it's a little less likely, but I think they certainly... They certainly could and probably should, especially with Habib back. Yeah, so then with that in mind, Chris, those two and Cal, the three NCAA teams from this region? Yeah, agreed. And I'll tell you, we, we'd be singing a little different song. Let, let's not forget here this. The, the thing that, you know, after that match was over that really I, I couldn't stop thinking about was, sure, we had all these matches that went three sets and A&M loses 4-3, but... Aguilar at two was up six one three one on Soder, <laughs> and found and found a way to to let that second set get away. I mean, it's only one break, obviously, but still six one three one. You look like you're rolling, and then Soderlin <laughs> manages to come back and get it. He finishes that out, and we don't even get as far as we do. Uh, it's it's over, right? So so yeah. But and, and isn't like, the counterpoint to that that Leeson had like match points as well at five? So I'm yeah. saying both guys had chances. Yeah. Oh no. There's there's no doubt. Yeah. This was just as close a match a, as you could get. And from 
from what I hear, you know, even from the A&M guys down there, they said, you know, they didn't come out on top, but it was one of the most fun matches they'd ever been involved in. They said it was just a tremendous match. Oh, and that's why I've been a fan of Virginia, because whenever they play, it seems to be tremendous. Sorry, I know I got to stop with my Virginia fandom. It's just, it's early in the college year. I'm getting reacclimated to the whole environment. Well, then let's end in what was probably, in fact, not probably, but decisively the most interesting region of the weekend. Of course, it was that interesting because one, you had Georgia, you had Baylor, you had Michigan, and you still had, you know, Georgia goes 0-2, and that's still not the biggest story of of the region um you of course had nc state as well i'm talking about ann arbor michigan where michigan as i just mentioned georgia baylor themselves nc state they also hosted me at the facility for two days so i got to see a ton of tennis this weekend i don't even know Let, let's knock this one out of the way real quick before we get into the baylor stuff Actually, we can't because I have to give proper context for that second loss. So let's start Baylor, Georgia. The decision Baylor wins it four two, but it really could have been a four three match. I believe the last match stopped at six all in the third. I mean, Matt, this was everything we wanted. Well, not not so fast. I would have I would have <laughs> liked to have seen Trent Bride in the lineup for Georgia. That is really what I would have wanted. Um, you know, I look at. I look at this Georgia lineup and it's just Robert Loeb at three to me is just not going to cut it. Look, I like the guy. He, he played tennis in the South. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, it, it was a good match. I'll give them that. They battled. Georgia definitely battled. Blake Kreuter, you know, a freshman at six. I mean, that's probably not the guy that you want in there, but they battled. I'll give them credit for that. But to come out 0-2 after that weekend, thats it's not a good look for them. It's just not. I think they need Trent Bride, and I think they need him in a bad, bad way. So let me just say, having been there, you could not be more nail on the head. If Trent Bride slots in at number three, because Reinberg and Zelensky at one and two, I mean, Reinberg beats Roy Smith, who I think is in a challenger round of 16 right now. Great result for him. You could tell even better. He'd be even better outdoors. He's just a grinder. So few weaknesses in his game. I love Robbie Loeb's game. He's so solid. And if you can move him down to four, you move Henning down to five. Maybe Duncan stays at five and Henning moves to six. I mean, Kreuter's so talented, but we'll talk about his loss in this match. He also loses a a three-set match. He had so many set points in his three-set loss against – or, sorry, in his – yeah, three-set loss against NC State, 5-7-7-5-6-4. And in that NC State match, he was up 4-3. I think Love 40 had uh, four chances to break the NC State guy and couldn't. And that's – as you mentioned, he's a freshman. So I think it's a great experience for him moving forward. But this Georgia team had so much talent. And if you slide everyone down, I mean, they're right there with Baylor. And it's 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 just interesting because True. they lost two doubles points. How often does that happen with a Georgia team? But to be fair, Baylor was without a couple of their players as well. I thought Juan Benitez and, and Finn Bass were supposed to be in that lineup. Chris, do you know anything about that? Yeah, so so much like we had the Habib situation with A and M, where he was eligible, but he has has an eligibility date. My understanding is that Baylor has not received dates yet for when Benitez and Bass will be eligible. So the the two of them are without without a date. They, I believe that uh, that 
that they think they are they're going to get the eligibility date, but they don't know what that date is yet. So I'm not sure when they'll be eligible. But uh, you know, obviously, a little gamesmanship in submitting them in the lineup, knowing they're not going to be eligible, <laughs> and then and then the the two of them were, that were slotted, I believe, at three and six, and what they submitted um, had to get pulled. Now, Sven Lott five is still a ridiculously good five. He uh, was con- so good. I cannot emphasize enough how much he impressed me. Yeah, so I'll tell you one of the one of the guys on on uh, on the Mississippi State team that uh, that I talked to over the weekend played him in a futures uh, last summer, I believe. And when I showed him the lineup and then showed him that he was actually submitted uh, at seven, he looked at me and he said, "I don't even need to see their lineup. I'm telling you right now, if you tell me he's their seven, they're winning it all." That's what he, he looked me straight in the face and said, "There's no way he's their seven. Uh, you know, I don't know what once they get Bass, and and maybe he's right. Maybe maybe Benitez, Benitez for sure is obviously in the lineup, and maybe Laws in front of Bass uh, with the performance he put in this weekend. I mean, that's a re- Duncan turns around. Granted, it's a different level of competition. Law puts a beating Duncan two and two, and then you think, ah, oh, okay, maybe Duncan's having the same back problems he had last year. Whatever, Duncan comes back out the next day and wins his match no. one and so, one. So this is where I get to play the trump card, and I'm sorry for doing this, but having been there. It was nothing on Walker Duncan. Sven Lodge just played a perfect match. Like it was literally perfect. He just the forehand wasn't missing. He tracked everything down. Duncan couldn't hurt him. It dunk uh it was just Sven Lodge was really impressive. Yeah, so you got to you got to believe that you know with that showing he he finds a way to keep himself in the lineup. So maybe when Benitez comes does get eligible, Law 6, but if you're playing Law 6, that's that's a great lineup. I mean, it's going <laughs> to, that's a national, that's a national championship lineup. I think they, they're going to need Benitez. If they want to win the title, they're going to need Benitez for sure. I don't think this lineup that they played uh, at the kickoff weekend is going to get it done. See, my counterpoint to both of you would be, even without those two guys, they got the job done this weekend. And I think even if Georgia has Trent Bride, you know, Soto played so well at four, La at five, even if you push Henning down or you push Henning down to six, Franzen really held his own there. And then I believe they had Ben Deck play the next day. He held his own. The depth for this Baylor team is USC-esque. It's, you know, they've got so many choices, five through eight, assuming they get all these guys back. That's why I had, you know, I was so impressed with them now for the sake of not doing this segment for another 20 minutes because we're at the hour and a half mark. I think you look at this region all four teams very likely to make the NCAA tournament. I didn't even get to mention how impressed I was by Michigan. And, of course, I'm biased. But let me say coming into this weekend, with all due respect to any of them, if they listen, I did not have high expectations for our team. I thought, okay, if we survive NC State, we'll take a doubles point. Maybe we'll get a win at four or five. You know, maybe they're not too strong at the bottom of the lineup either. But I was really worried about Simar, who played the match of his life against Roy Smith. Again, I'm trying to get all of my takes in at once. Uh, um, our doubles looked great. Our doubles, sorry. The doubles looked great from Michigan. Uh, Connor Johnson at four. It's fun to watch. We're Steve, I think Steve Foreman ends up jumping into the lineup there. Mahoney at five. Maybe Johnson and Tishman, who's ever hot, switch off at six. But the doubles looked great. Andrew Fenty at two. 
is a talent. Let me tell you, I did not expect, I haven't seen a freshman, you know, that good for Michigan, maybe ever. And I got to see, you know, since a young Leo Hua, since Alex Knight was pretty good his freshman year, but he wasn't what Andrew Fenty is, who for the first set of the match against Baylor just hit uh, Shredder off the court. It was, it was the most spectacular level of tennis. I think Shredder took an injury timeout because he's like, I just need to break this guy's rhythm. I'm sorry for that rant, Chris. That was a long way of me asking you. You think off, you know, because we didn't even mention NC State got a win over Georgia 4-3 where they clinch at number one singles, 7-5-4-6-6-4 victory. All four of these teams are NCAA caliber teams. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, I, I think there's no question. The, so for Georgia, you know, the, the deal is, A, yes, they've got to get Trent Bride in the lineup. And then B, they have to stay healthy. So you've got a couple guys in, in Loeb and Duncan that spent a significant amount of time last year not playing because they were hurt. Those two guys have to stay healthy and be able to play, and then they have to get uh, Trent Bride in the lineup. They get they get that. It, you know, if those things happen, they will be just fine. Uh, and they'll be a very, very good team. They'll find their way back into you know potentially a spot where uh, they're hosting a, a, a loss to Baylor. No harm. The, the Baylor is going to find themselves way up in the rankings. That loss won't hurt. That NC State loss that might sting a little. Uh, come the end of the year when they're when they're maybe maybe right on the bubble, trying to battle for a host spot. Um, but but yeah, that was a that was absolutely a great victory for NC State, and things things looked very good. You know, Matt had told us ahead of time he saw him play. He said they looked really good. He liked them, and they came out and and got it done against against Georgia on Sunday. But but for sure, I I was surprised too that when I saw that uh, your Michigan boys took the doubles point, took three first sets uh, in it singles. Was, it was it was. Uh, I'm telling you, if you played that match ten times, that scenario only happens once. It was that- Fenty Tree. Tishman was playing as well as I've ever seen him play. Seymour, I didn't know he was capable of what he was doing against Roy Smith. I'm telling you, I I know this. May- it was just I didn't know our our guys had it in. It was a pleasant and, surprise. And then Shallot was in a breaker, right? So I mean, it was it was looking like a hey. They could have, they could get four first sets here, but he ends, he does ends up not getting the breaker, uh, and then that, you know, and then of course was, you have to, you have to that was the turning that we point. Have no idea how this is going to end. I couldn't predict <laughs> it, right? Well, uh, no, so, exactly. But, uh, let me just but, say about Shallot because I'm a big fan of Miles personally. Uh, that that was the turning point when he lost that set seven six that we could because you knew he was going to lose that second set six zero when that happened. Will Little is just too much of a pest as an opponent when you lose such a. I think he had four set points in that breaker. It was just oh, it hurt. It really did hurt. I, I think Coach Bolin got mad at me because I was cheering for Michigan a little bit too loudly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I sorry to cut, to cut you off. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, I don't think Coach Bowen could get too mad because outside of anybody in Waco, I think every college tennis fan in the country was rooting for Michigan. <laughs> so, so you know, even you know, even the Michigan rivals probably wanted to see somebody take Baylor. Now they're just, but they're you know, that's what's going to happen when you kind of have the Baylor reputation. You have the situation with Ben Deck coming back that a lot of people aren't fans on fans of. You have the fact that it's Brian Boland who came from Virginia and just has that, you know, 
everybody's already thinking, well, here, here we go. And you know, it's, it's kind of like the Patriots. You got a, you get a whole bunch of people that love to hate the Patriots. You're going to have a whole bunch of people. That was that a compliment. Coach yeah. Boland, I hope you take that as a compliment. Yeah. Matt, yes. any final thoughts on this region? No, great region. I mean, I think all these, all four of these teams are team to, uh, teams to watch throughout the whole year. Chris already mentioned Georgia needs bride back, but yeah, I'm telling you, NC State's going to be threatening the ACC. Not a major threat to win the win the conference, but um, you know they're going to beat a lot of teams in the ACC. They play great doubles. I've seen them. Uh, that's a pretty good squad. So all four of these teams are definitely making the tournament. No question about it. Perfect. Well, then let's move on to the last thing we are going to do, and we have broken down all 15 regions in way more depth than I could have, you know, could have hoped for. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Matt, for sticking around. And I'm sorry that I am going to ask another thing out of you, but I asked you both after this weekend of tennis, we finally got to see these teams play with some stakes on the line to make your t- your list of the top five men's teams right now. We'll start with number five, Matt, then Chris. Yeah, so... Oh, boy. And any honorable mentions if you want to go before. Okay, well, I'll throw an honorable mention. That's going to be Baylor. My top five from the last podcast is going to remain the same with the exception of one team. Um, I'm I'm booting Baylor out until they get their their full lineup back. Um, You know... They look. They played Georgia without Bride, and then they played a Michigan team that you know we didn't have high expectations for. So Baylor's going to be an honorable mention, but I'm going at number five, Ohio State for me. Interesting. They are my number five as well, Chris. Actually, let's do this differently. I apologize. Otherwise, it's going to take way too long. Matt, just give me your top five. Okay, honorable mention Baylor. Uh, five is going to be Ohio State. Four is going to be Texas. So I've moved Texas into – hey, I told you this was coming. I underestimated that team. I will no longer underestimate that team. I really like Texas. I've got them at four. Three for me is going to be Wake Forest. Two, USC, and number one, Florida. So my top three are unchanged from the last podcast. Number one, Florida. Number two, Trojans. Three, Wake. Four, Texas. Five, Ohio State. Chris, he ignored your Mississippi State squad in the top five, so I will give you a chance to rebut first. Well, well, that's that's okay. I, I want to, you know, we want to. I want to stay out of the limelight uh, and keep all the pressure, <laughs> especially in the SEC on Florida. So I'm going to say, so my, my top my top five right now, uh, and I'm going to go. I'll have to give my honorable mention because at six I've got Mississippi State. Uh, I've got yeah, that's fair. See, I, I will put Mississippi State. Look, I love that team. Just for the record, for me, they are clearly a top ten team, borderline top five. So I said Baylor's an honorable mention. I just want to say Mississippi State is right there for me, right, right there as well. I like that team a lot. Yeah, so I, I've got I've got the the dogs at six. I've got Florida at five. Who I'll say I get I think should should be better. But they're going to have to show me, right? I got to see Perez play. I got to see. I got to see a little more out of them before I move them up. So I've got the Gators at five. I've got Ohio State at four, uh, and I've got what. And I saw the the rankings come out today from the from the the USTA tennis channel t- rankings, right? In and that we all don't have votes is ridiculous. But we'll hold that for another time. Yeah, but I, I've already I, contacted Lisa Stone. 
<laughs> the one standout, I, I took a look through it to see how my rankings compared to theirs. And I think the one standout is, and, I, and I'm sticking with it, is I seem to have, I'm higher on Carolina than everybody else's. I've got North Carolina at three. I don't, I don't see any way they're not that bit, that good, uh, unless it's an injury that comes. So um, I've got Carolina three. I've got Wake Forest at two and USC at number one. Interesting. So here are the takeaways I have from seeing everyone's list. We are all very high on USC. Chris, you just mentioned you have them number one. Matt, you have them number two. I also have them number two. Um, Looking at some of the big picture things, I kind of, when I was making my list, wanted to separate this into tiers. The teams I have in my top five are teams I know what I'm getting out of their lineups, not only in singles, you know, who's playing one and two, their top guys, who I'm getting at the bottom of the lineup. More importantly, do they have established doubles combinations now? Do I think they're going to have success in the doubles point with which the mar- you know the margins are going to be so thin between these teams at the indoors? The teams that get the doubles point will have such a big advantage. So the teams I just left off my list, UCLA, because four through six and in doubles, not sure what they're doing yet. Texas, just because, you know, they're very talented one and two, but same thing, not exactly sure what they're doing on the bottom of their lineup. UNC, it's a doubles point question. I just, until I see what their doubles teams are, I can't put them in my top five. Same thing with Baylor. Until I know exactly what their lineup is, they have so much talent, but I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. I almost had them hopping my number five team, Ohio State, but I, I, I like JJ too much at one. I love what they can do at doubles. I think Selig's such a talent. If you side a healthy Seabird in at three and move Selig down to four, Joyce five, they, there's just so many different things they can do. So I'm going to keep them number five. Four, Wake Forest, they get penalized for Gojo nine. Not playing, but until I see that Gojo Free Sokos one two back in action, I can't put them in my top three. Florida number three because of the talent, of course. It's just they still have lineup decisions to make, but you saw what they did in singles, just dominant up top. USC, we talked about their depth already. They're my number two team and my number one team. And I swear I didn't do this just to keep you to come ba- coming back, Chris. <laughs> It's Mississippi State. I don't know why we're not talking about this team. The, they're the seniors. They're the one where it's like, literally, we've seen this recipe. Last year, they make their breakthrough to the quarterfinals. Now they're going to be at indoors. They're going to get their first shot at a lot of these teams. It's going to be so beneficial for them. And then they're just the sleeping giant in the SEC. They've got Florida. They've got Georgia. You know, they've, They're going to get a t- Texas A&M, a ton of good matches down there. And they're just... Their experience, you can't deny it. And as talented as Florida is, I watched Nuno and Torp play. I know that's the example we keep coming back to, but I haven't seen anyone else battle at a late stage like I have. So many of these Mississippi State returners, they know what they want to do in doubles. They know what they want to do on the court. They greet their fans after the match, which as I said on Twitter, I am such a fan of. They're number one until I see someone beating them. They they remind me of Wake Forest in that they just had all of their guys coming back. That Wake Forest team also lost in the quarterfinals to UNC. You know, it's not like they had made a deep run. They made a deep run, I suppose, at the indoors, but they'd never make a deep NCAA run before they won the thing. I don't know why this year's Mississippi State team can't do that. I just, you know, we don't need to advertise that. Oh, look, they're, they're going to be really good. They're going to be right there at the end. I mean, I like this team a lot, too. I think what it is is just 
a lot of the names in that lineup are are kind of underrated names. I mean, not not every college tennis fan knows about Gio, you know, knows about Trevor, knows about um, you know Nick Braun and people like that. Strolly. Strolly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. these guys, go, they fly under the radar, but all they do is win. I mean, they just win every match, it seems like, that they play. They're going to be right there at the end. But I do have to say, I think you guys might be making a mistake leaving Texas out of out of your uh, your rankings there. Texas, watch out. Watch out. Yeah, and I've, I've still got Texas. Like I said, they could easily be a top three. I've got them at my seven right now, right there with Mississippi State. Uh and, you know, and that was one of the best that those two, both those teams basically return everybody. Texas lost Ortiz, but uh, uh, he was, he kind of played part-time six anyway. So not, not a, not a huge loss for the, for them. Uh, those two teams played each other in the NCAA tournament last year in North Carolina. And, uh, and, and I like, I like both of them a lot. And I, I think that Texas team could be, they could be scary good. I mean, they're, they're the younger team that you think, well, if they were all freshmen and as sophomores, they just, you know, they improve that much more just after a year. So their upside could could be really, really high. I think one of the most exciting things about this season that we'll keep circling back to, I could list, and I'll do it real quick, 11 teams, Mississippi State, USC, Florida, Wake Forest, Ohio State, Baylor, UNC, Texas, UCLA, maybe Georgia. Of course, I'll throw UVA in there. And you could make a case without someone laughing you out of the room that that team is going to end up as NCAA champion. And we just haven't had so many teams in the mix in such a long while. We had that USC era, the UVA era, just such dominance. And the openness of this year's crowd is what makes this season so exciting. And, you know, we're an hour 45 in, so we don't have to get into anything else. We can leave it there. But I want to give each of you guys any final takes from this weekend, Matt, then Chris. Oh, just an awesome weekend. I mean, it really, it brought back everything that we love about college tennis. You know, to me, the kickoff weekend kind of signifies really the true start of the college tennis dual match season. And I mean, it, it was great. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything more other than a Duke upset over UNC. That didn't happen, but you know what? That's all right. Looking forward to indoors, uh, looking forward to all those matches that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. And man, it's awesome. I'm pumped about it. Yeah, I I, I echo those sentiments, and I'll tell you what the, the thing that I'm it's it's not just the kickoff weekend and and now wait three weeks for the in, for indoors. What I'm what I'm really excited about is not only did we just get to see all these teams play, but now the teams that won these regions, many of them just as as early as this weekend. They start playing each other. So, I, you know, let's go with just this weekend. We've got Notre Dame against Virginia, Notre Dame against Texas A&M. Granted, Texas A&M didn't win, but they looked great. The, the match we A match we haven't talked about Saturday, North Carolina at Texas. Oh, mm. I, I'm yes. dying to see that match. At the same time, Stanford at Ohio State on Saturday. Mm. Another <laughs> great match. And then on Tennis Channel at the at the National Tennis Center down in Lake Nona, Florida, Florida State mm. uh, is on Saturday. That's going to be a great match. Uh, I mean, Sunday you've got Wake versus Oklahoma State. Now I think they'll they'll roll them just the way Tech the way uh, the way Oklahoma State lost to TCU. Uh, but we'll get to. I'm hoping that we'll get to see a little more of pushing that 
that down low wake lineup as well as hey is is Goyo back well <laughs> he's not going to be back if he doesn't lose out of that challenger at some point but, uh, <laughs> but but all four of those college kids that are playing the challenger are still going um they've all all into the round of 16 uh but i mean and then and then we've got more big matchups coming up after at, you know even after that but just this weekend alone with matchups between those schools that won i you know i can't wait to can't wait to get back home and sit down and watch some of this Oh, it is going to be fun to watch. I will leave you all with a story, my favorite moment of the ITA kickoff weekend. Georgia Baylor, one doubles, four all, incredible match. Loeb Zielinski, Roy Smith, uh, all incredible talents on their own. Deuce Point, uh, who is the other player on the court? Man, who did Smith play with? Let me look at the stats real quick. I know this butchers the story. Sven Law, He's around Sven the net Law. court. Yeah, down the line winner. Robbie Loeb, and this is how you know college tennis is back. It's a deuce point, keep in mind. He doesn't want to get broken. It out. Calls it out, of course, but does not even look at the line judge. He knows he's going to get overruled anyways. Goes to give his partner a high five. Gets overruled. Doesn't. There's no emotional reaction. He hooked because he had to because it's college tennis and that's what you do. And that's when I knew we're back. And I just was so happy about that entire moment. So what a weekend it was. I want to thank uh, both of you for taking the time to do this. Of course, have to give a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel West stuff who have a fuck of an editing job to do as always of course we end up going in hour 45 and that's half the fun of the college season is there's so much fun uh, so much fun stuff to talk about but one last time for my wonderful co-hosts chris halliores and matt stakowiak for our super producers max flinger daniel westoff and from our entire team at crack rackets i'm your host alex gruskin guys you know what we say to our listeners hey great shot <laughs> that was great. I love it. And enjoy the college season. Don't miss these matches, everyone. Take care. Thanks, guys. <laughs>